0: Let me know if I need to go up or down with the sound. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a great, it's a beautiful day. We've been waiting for good weather uh, for all season. Round four, here we are, we've got great weather, but our hearts are heavy. And I want to acknowledge that, that the ATV community was rocked yesterday with the passing of Laz and his wife, Mary Ann, as they were flying to this race, for this race, uh, and their plane crashed shortly after takeoff. So, um, you know, we don't understand. All we know is that that life is fragile. It's short. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Uh, we'd certainly miss Laz's face. Uh, it, it's going to be. I don't think that the reality is set in yet. But um, we want to be sure to be in prayer for Brandon and his family, and for all the GNCC family. There, there. Even yesterday, there were a lot of opportunities for some, some conversations. So wisdom for each of us as we run into people that have questions, especially when they know that. That we believe in God and that we believe in Jesus and we believe in eternity and purpose and life and and there's going to be a lot of questions. So pray for wisdom. Also, uh, Rory Mead, you know, last last week was a shock for that. And um, pray for you know, obviously we're praying for healing on Rory's life. If if you didn't hear, he crashed at the, on the last lap and he's paralyzed from the chest down. And he's got a little bit of feeling. Uh, he's at Shepherd Center in Atlanta now. And hopefully I'll get the chance to stop by tomorrow on my way home and see him again. And to, to witness to him and let him know that God loves him. And uh, in the same breath, you know, we were shocked last year with Randall Riggs. Still, uh, he's at home now in Maryland, uh, but his recovery is not really recovery. It's, uh, he's got no, no feeling, no sensation. Um, so it, it's a tough life. And yet this is what God called us to do. And the reason I say God called us to do that is because he put this love in our hearts. But we know that it's a dangerous sport. And um, I remember a few years ago, that uh, Jeremy Lust died, freestyle rider, and, uh, oh, people are dying on motorcycles. Why are you out there doing that? I because people are dying. <laughs> they need to know that God loves them. And uh, so it's, it's, it's a thrill to be here, but at the same time, kind of a serious moment here. So let me pray before we start. God, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that there is uh, eternity and that there is purpose. Thank you that uh, what we see around us is not the end all. Uh, I just pray that you will open our hearts to hear your truth. I prayed yesterday that, uh, you know, the, the news came through just before chapel service, and I thought, man, God, should I change the message? And you said, no, go with what you got. So that's what we're going to do again this morning, Lord. I just pray that you open my mouth to say your words and not of my own. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. I love you. I look forward to what you're doing this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so I am, uh, I am from a small town in New York. And when I say New York, everybody thinks New York City. I've never been to New York City. Uh, I grew up about 90 miles south of Buffalo, right on the Pennsylvania border, out in the middle of nowhere. And when I say nowhere, th- that's exactly what I mean. <laughs> uh, I went to, uh, I lived in Richburg, New York as a, as a teenager, going to middle school and high school. It was all one school combined, elementary, middle school, high school, all one, one building. Uh, the whole building housed 450 people, one of the, including the janitor. And one of those people was my mother. She was an elementary school teacher teaching second grade. I remember one time I went and took a leak in the women's bathroom in between classes just because I thought it would be funny. Before I even zipped up, she knew what I had done, and I was in trouble. Another time I got called to the principal's office, and I thought, oh, man, what have I done now? I couldn't, I couldn't think of what I had done wrong. I got called to the principal's office, and my dad was there. I thought, oh, I've really done it now. And my dad said, hey, um, the car in front of me hit a deer, and it's still good. Can you come home and scan it for me? So I grew up in the country where we all knew each other. We were all into each other's business. And when we graduated, of course, I was out of there. As soon as I graduated, I was out of there. And now my heart is like, man, I really want to go back to that small town. I miss the small town. But um, last year I was able to go home for uh, a little bit of a break before Unadilla Race. And when I was home, I caught up with one of my old classmates. She and I went to school together, so obviously we knew whether we liked each other or not. We all knew each other, <laughs> and we all ended up getting along. And she and I, we always got along. And um, we went to the same church in that small community, and we went to youth group together. And so we we believed the same things. And I've been doing a series here. Didn't know it was going to be a series, but now it's become a series of I believe. And uh, what do we believe? Why do we believe it? Can we stand? Do we know what we know? Can we stand on it? Well, she and I, as kids, we believed the same thing. When we grew up, we both went our separate ways. I went into the army. She went over to Turkey. She was over in the Middle East where she met some people over there in the Middle East, and she came back, and this was my first time to really catch up with her in over 20 years. And uh, I said, how you doing? Where have you been? And uh, I've caught up with her on Facebook and realized she and I are as opposite as opposites can be. She's a flaming liberal. I'm a crazy conservative. All right, and so we got together, and we went to lunch. We started picking on each other about MSNBC and Fox News and, you know, got into politics, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, we respected each other's beliefs enough to have fun with it and to poke fun at each other. And then we got talking about religion, and she said, you know, when I left Richburg, I went over to Turkey. And I met people over in Turkey, in the Middle East, that were born into a Muslim family. And the only reason that they were Muslims is because they were born that way and the only reason I came to understand the only reason I was a Christian is because I was born into a Christian family in a Christian community with a Christian church had I been born over in India I would have been a Hindu so who's to say who's right and who's wrong how do you know out of all the religions out there and everybody sincerely believes that what they believe is absolutely positively the truth how can you possibly know who is right and who's wrong so I've decided that I don't care um you can believe what you want to believe, and I'm going to be an atheist. Actually, what she described was what we call an agnostic, somebody who I don't know if God exists and if he does. I just don't really care. Uh, it's, it's beyond me to really figure it out. An atheist is one that says there is no God. Uh, the movie God's Not Dead that describes atheism. If you've seen it, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, it's worth the ticket price. I, I went and saw it and enjoyed it, and uh, it was well done. But anyway, she brings up a really, really good question, and I want to address that. How do we know for sure that what we believe is absolutely the truth? Because there's so many different religions out there. And so we're going to look at that today, and we don't have time to look at all the religions of the world. There are thousands of religions in the world. But I'm going to look at three of the big ones, okay? I'm going, to look at, uh, I'm going to look at the three of the oldest religions in the world. Judaism, which is the Jews over in Israel. There's Islam, the Muslims, the rest of the Arab world. And then there's Christianity. Now, all three of these have their roots in the same place. All three of these religions, if you will, all three of these believe, Genesis 1-1, that God created the heavens and the earth. All three of these religions, they believe that there, was, there were Adam and Eve believe that there was a that there was a flood with noah and the flood and the ark and the animals and all that believe all the way up to genesis chapter twelve that there was a guy named abraham that god came to abraham and said hey abraham i got this thing going on said i will make of you a great nation i will bless you i will make your name so great that you will be a blessing and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed the full promise the abrahamic covenant uh... judaism islam christianity all believe in the abrahamic covenant Abrahamic covenant, if I could spit it out that way, sounding really fancy, basically God promised Abraham, through you you're going to have a lot of descendants, lots of people, lots of land, and through you the whole world is going to be blessed we all three, all three religions believe that, what happened ten years after God gave Abraham that promise Abraham leaves his father's place and he goes to the land that God tells him to go to says, I believe you God and uh, the Bible later says that it's counted done to him as righteousness, he did what he was supposed to do he goes forward, ten years later he still has no children God said, I'm going to make many descendants out of you. And 10 years later, he's getting older and he's getting older and his wife is getting older and nothing's happened. And so he and his wife are sitting around and Sarah his wife says, well, maybe God meant that you would have descendants and not necessarily through me, but would you like to sleep with my servant? And Abraham's like, sure, (laughs) of course, I'll sleep with your servant. And so he sleeps with Hagar and he has a son and names him Ishmael. And God says, Abraham, God has to intervene at this point because Sarah and Hagar, they're not getting along, as you can imagine, not getting along. And God has to intervene and says, Abraham, when I said that you were going to have descendants through you and your wife, I meant through you and your wife, Sarah. But because you've had this child and because I've made a promise with you, he is going to be a great nation too. You're going to name him an Ishmael right there, says, I will make a great nation of of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring, Ishmael. Right there is where we draw the line on the end of the beliefs between Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. The the Muslim nation they believe all the way up to that point but we don't know anything else about Islam for another 2,500 years, okay? Just keep that thought in mind because after this point Abraham goes out and says, okay God I'm, I'm gonna keep on doing it your way even though I've done it imperfectly. Another 14 years go by. Ishmael now 14 years old and finally Abraham and Sarah have a son. They name him Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. The 12 sons have families. When they're about a family of 80 people big, which is a big family, big family reunions, there's a, there's a, um, a famine in the land. And so they have to go to Egypt in order to survive. In Egypt they start They stay in Egypt. They actually overstay their welcome in Egypt. And they multiply, they become numerous, as as numerous as the sand on the seashore. There's thousands upon thousands of them. 400 years later, they are in slavery in Egypt. God raises up Moses, leads them out of slavery, leads them into the promised land. They conquer, there's Joshua, there's Jericho. Christians and Jews alike believe these things. That are written in the Old Testament. Believe that there was kings, and that the greatest king was David. Of course, the Jews and Christians alike revere the name of David, like he was the greatest king that Israel ever had. And after David, there were prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and Joel and Amos and all these guys. And so, Christians and Jews alike agree: yes, we believe in all of this. The end of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, is is a, a book written by a prophet named Malachi. Malachi, the last verse in Malachi says, talking about a coming Savior, a Messiah, which is what all these prophets have been talking about, that, hey, there's going to be coming a Messiah, a Savior, who's going to rescue the nation of Israel, who's going to bless the whole earth, who's going to restore peace, who's going to restore order, who's going to bring perfect judgment, who's going to do all these wonderful things. And the last verse in Malachi, uh, talking about the coming Elijah, which is synonymous with the Messiah, says, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to children, the hearts of children to their fathers ends with great hope that something good is going to happen, that somebody's going to come on the scene and accomplish something great, and that everybody's going to be changed. The whole world's going to be changed because of it. And that's where uh, Judaism and Christianity, that's where there's a disconnect. We all believe up to this point, and then Christians believe in Matthew 1.1, which starts talking about Jesus. We, We believe in the New Testament, okay? In the New Testament originally wasn't called the New Testament, it's just these writings of this guy that came on the scene, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all write books about this guy named Jesus. And Jesus comes on the scene, and, and we claim that, Christians claim that he is the Messiah, that he's the one that the Old Testament was talking about. Claims that Jesus is the, is the one that, uh, you know, through him, we can have a community and we can have relationship with God once again. And the whole Christian faith hinges, we can sum it up in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And that is done through the person of Jesus Christ. But here we've got three different religions, all started in the same place, but they all go in different directions. With Islam, you got five different pillars of Islam that include pilgrimage and, and prayer five times a day. And you got all these different rules and regulations and laws and things that you have to do, things you don't have to do. Judaism has a complete different set of rules. Lots of rules. And then the Christians just come along and say, yeah, you got to believe in Jesus. So who can possibly be right? Out of all three of those, all with the same beginning, who's right? You see... This has been the question for centuries. It's not a new question that my friend and I just had over lunch just just, uh, last year. This is a question that has been around for centuries. And so what I want to do today, instead of taking you to the Bible, I want to take you to an ancient manuscript. A man that was on the scene right after the time of Jesus. A man named Luke, yes, I'm referring to what we call as the Bible, but historians uh, from Cambridge and Princeton and Harvard, historians that have no credit, you know, that that don't give the Word of God the credibility as the Word of God, they still agree, these ancient documents record history. So I want to look at a history book, It's, it's by the guy named Luke, he was a doctor, he was a physician, he was well educated, and he wrote a journal. And the journal, we refer to it today as the book of Acts. He didn't know he was writing the book of Acts. He was just recording events that happened in his life as he traveled throughout, this, uh, the, throughout the, the, the region of Israel and throughout the Mediterranean basin. He traded a lot of traveling with a guy named Paul. Paul was originally named Saul, and so Luke recorded what he saw. He saw this guy Saul who was persecuting people that believed in Jesus, who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. This guy Saul was a devout Jew. We've been talking about Judaism. That's where Saul was. He was a devout Jew, said, no, there's no way that Jesus was the Messiah. You guys are mistaken. You guys are crazy. And then Saul has this crazy encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And now all of a sudden Saul, we refer to him as Paul. And Paul's going all around the Mediterranean basin, and he's telling people about Jesus, and he's setting up churches. And we pick up the story. We, we refer to it as Acts chapter 17, but Luke's just writing this document. He's writing down what he sees, and he says, And so Paul was in Athens, and as he was in Athens... He sees a whole bunch of idols. He's walking around the city. He describes how Paul walked around the city and he saw a whole bunch of idols made of wood and silver and stone and gold and all these different things. He sees idols. He sees temples. He sees synagogues. He sees altars. All these different things how they're worshiping. All these different gods, all these different religions are centered in the town of Athens, in the city of Athens, which we can still go to today in Athens, Greece. And so Paul is, is hanging out there, and he starts, he starts conversations with people. He starts talking about religion with people. He starts in the synagogue, and he moves into the marketplace. And he's talking to just people, people that he meets in the supermarket about religion. And, and Luke describes it this way. He said, now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. And so if you've heard of Plato and Aristotle, they were based in Athens about 500 years before Paul was in there. But nonetheless, even though it was so long ago, Athens was the center of philosophical thought. Big old fancy word that I can't even spell. You know, they're thinkers, they're philosophers, and they're always wondering, what's the truth? And they can't figure out what the truth is, so they've got all these different religions. Hey, what's good for you is good for you, what's good for him is good for him. Let's just go with it. We'll set up churches everywhere of any kind of denomination. It doesn't matter. And so this bothers Paul. And as, he, as he's walking around, so Paul, uh, he's, uh, he's talking to him about all these religions. He finally gets an invite to go down to the amphitheater, which they call the uh, Areopagus, or something like that. The big old amphitheater. You can go to it even today in Athens. He gets invited to go, and you can stand right where Paul stood, and you can see what that amphitheater looks like, and he starts talking. He says, men of Athens... I perceive that in every way you are a very religious people. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, all these different idols of wood, silver, stone, clay, and whatever else you've got, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. How can we know that there's absolute truth? We can't know. There's all these different religions. Everybody has their beliefs everywhere in the world. So we've got we got everything covered. And just in case we didn't get the right one, we got an altar to the unknown God. If he ever shows up, hey, there you go. We were thinking of you all along. We've got all of our bases covered because we believe everything. And Paul says, so I want to tell you who that unknown God is. There's a God who created the world and everything in it. He starts to describe the God that we refer to as the God of, of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he goes on to describe that you can't, you can't capture the creator of this created thing inside the creation. Uh, uh, when you look at a painting, and you see this maj- majestic painting, this beautiful painting, the artist is not in the painting. When you see a sculpture, and you see this beautiful sculpture, the, the guy who created that sculpture is not in the sculpture. Neither is God, the one who created the whole heavens and the earth. He can't be contained within an idol. He can't be contained in an altar. He can't be dealt with with human hands. But he says, you are not far from the truth. You guys are sitting around here thinking about things and you're wondering about absolute truth. You're almost there, he says. And then instead of quoting the Old Testament or the Septuagint or any of the Torah or any of those religious documents, he quotes their own philosophers and their own poets, he says, one of your philosophers said, in him we live and move and have our being. You just didn't know who it was. One of your poets said, for we are indeed his offspring. And he says, you're right. We are his offspring. And if we as human beings can't be contained in an idol of wood, silver, and stone, neither can the one who created us, who we are in his offspring. And then he goes on he say, and now God has revealed himself. God has given us proof. That he is who he said that he is. He has given us proof. And the men of Athens hang on every word that Paul is saying. Proof? That there's real God? That there's absolute truth? What is it? And Paul goes on and he says, By raising the one he sent from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Oh, that's your proof? A dead guy came back to life? That's your proof? That stuff doesn't happen. But some of them said, okay, we'll hear from you again about this. And so Paul went out from their midst. You see, this was a people fixated on what is the truth. There's so many religions, maybe we should just practice them all. And Paul comes along and says, you want to know the truth? Here's the proof. God did, God raised Jesus from the dead. And a dead person coming back to life is something that only God can do. You want your proof? Here's the proof. God did the impossible. The thing that only God could do to prove to you that he is who he said that he is. That's a tough pill to swallow. You don't just hear that and say, Oh, a dead person came back to life. Yeah, I got it. No problem. No, you hear that. A dead person came back to life. Well, that's impossible. And indeed it is. But here's also what's impossible. According to Wikipedia, there are over 4,000 religions in the world today. Over 4,000 religions. It is impossible to figure out which one is right. But let me tell you, there's only one that claims a risen Savior. There's only one that, that, that claims that God proved that this is the right belief. And he did something that only he can do by raising his son from the dead. You see, anyone, anyone can claim to have truth. All right? About 600 years after Paul delivered his message in Athens, Greece, about 600 years later, a guy came on the scene who named Mohammed. Mohammed descended from Ishmael. Uh, we talked about Abraham. You know, 2,500 years ago, there was this guy Abraham who had a son named Ishmael who's going to have a great nation. That great nation did indeed happen. That's what we call the Arab world today. Mohammed, in 633 A.D., Muhammad said that he had a, had the angel Gabriel visit him and impart special revelation to him. And from that, the Islam religion was, was born in 633 A.D. Anyone can claim to have the truth, but there's only one there's only one who uh... let me get this straight here there's there's only one religion if you there's only one belief system if you will that doesn't depend on divine revelation to one man christianity is not based on a revelation to a man that was done in secret christianity is based on god doing exactly what god said that he would do and then proving what he said that he would do let me show it to you just for example remember ishmael and that promise that you'll be a great nation Genesis 16 verse 11 says, You shall call his name Ishmael, and he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. Think about that for a second. What's been happening in the Middle East for 4,000 years? His hand's going to be against everyone. Everyone. Wow, that's something to think about. You want something else to think about? God doing exactly what God said that he was going to do? Look at this. Let me just lead you through a few of those Old Testament prophets, all right, that said things about a coming Messiah. Micah 5.2 said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem Hosea said that out of Egypt I'll call my son that the that the Messiah would be in Egypt Isaiah said a great light will shine in Galilee well how in the world can you possibly have a Messiah in Bethlehem and Egypt and in Galilee well Jeremiah yet another prophet said that there would be a massacre of children at the uh, at the Messiah's birthplace and what happened well, we're familiar with the, with the Christmas story. There's a prophecy in Isaiah about a virgin will, will conceive and give birth. Well, we celebrate that at Christmas time about a guy named Jesus uh, who was born to Mary and Joseph. Joseph was a direct descendant of David, and because he was a direct descendant of David, he had to go and be taxed at a certain town called Bethlehem, right? But, on, but then there were three wise men who saw a star and said, Hey, we got to go worship this new king. Something crazy is happening. Stops off and they see Herod and Herod says, What? A king of the Jews? I can't compete with that. So he orders a massacre of all the children in a birthplace of Bethlehem and said all the children two years old and younger are going to be killed. An angel comes to Joseph and says, Hey, you got to flee this place before this happens. Go to Egypt. Goes to Egypt. The children are massacred. A great weeping is heard in Ramah according to Jeremiah. That's exactly what happens. Jesus is over in Egypt. An angel comes a couple years later and says, Okay, Joseph, it is safe for you to return to your home in Nazareth, which is on the on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. A great light will shine in Galilee. Jesus starts his ministry in Galilee. And what does he do? All along his ministry, he starts healing people. He starts, the blind receive their sight, the deaf will hear. Oh, wait a second. Isaiah said that when the Messiah comes on scene, the blind receive their sight, the deaf will hear. Isaiah goes on to explain in Isaiah chapter 4, 53 that this messiah will be pierced for our transgressions next week is easter this friday will be good friday the day that we remember that jesus was crucified on the cross roman crucifixion was the worst possible imaginable way to die of all time they they perfected torture down to a science and uh, a cross wasn't exactly the way that we see it depicted in pictures and movies today. Normally what they would do is they would stack the feet up and they would per- put the person sideways on a cross. They'd put a little platform down there and they would nail the person's feet to that platform and they would be sideways and stretched out like this and uh, they'd be battered and bruised and in order to get any kind of air, they're hanging, and I can't even get my arm because I couldn't have my shoulders all messed up. They're hanging on a cross like this, all right? Their arms outstretched. In order to get a breath, to get a decent breath, they have to push up on that platform. When the Romans were tired of persecuting this person, what they would do is they would break the legs of that person so they could no longer push up with their legs and get breath into their into their lungs. With Jesus, they did not break his legs. They pierced him. He was pierced for our transgressions. And yet, in the very same passage... Uh, Isaiah says, he'll be, he'll be uh, treated like a common criminal Jesus crucified between two thieves In the same passage, almost the same breath Says, he'll be buried in a rich man's grave Treated like a common criminal And buried in a rich man's grave Joseph of Arimathea comes along and says Hey, I want to take Jesus down off the cross And I want to put him into my personal tomb That has been carved out of a rock Buried in a rich man's grave In Psalm 1610, David says You will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave And on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave that resurrection, everything hinges on that resurrection that God proved that he was who he said he was and that he would do what he said that he would do. Paul, that guy who stood in Athens and preached to those people about God proved this re- by raising his one, uh, the one that he sent from the dead, Paul later in a, re- a letter to the church in Corinth, he says, And if Christ has not raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If God didn't raise Jesus, then Christianity is just another one of 4,000 different religions and you can choose to believe whatever the heck you want to believe, but God did did raise Jesus from the grave. And that's what our faith hinges on, is that God did what He said He was going to do. That He did raise Jesus and that Jesus did ascend into heaven just like He said He was going to do. It's a tough pill to swallow. The number three religion in the world in terms of size, population size, is atheism. And I know... Atheism is the absence of religion. We don't believe in any God at all. But it takes as much faith to be an atheist as it does to be a Christian or to be a Mormon or a Muslim or anything else. It takes faith to believe because you can't replicate, you can't duplicate what an atheist says happens in in, in a vacuum tube. And so atheism has over a billion people that subscribe to this philosophy of atheism. And yet one of their own, Anthony Flew, as an atheist who later became a believer because he started researching the resurrection. He started saying, okay, I'm also a historian. I'm an atheist and I'm a historian. There's all this talk about the resurrection, and we know that dead people stay dead and, and that that can't possibly happen. But as an atheist, he even said, it is enormously more likely that the resurrection happened if God actually exists. It is enormously more likely. Duh. Duh. <laughs> If God exists, Michael Lacona, a modern day historian, he says this. He says, if we look at the totality of evidence for the resurrection, I think it is certainly more likely than not that God does exist. And if he does, then he could certainly have raised Jesus from the dead. Absolutely, he could raise Jesus from the dead. That's what we believe on. That's what we hang our faith on. Now, why don't the Jews believe that Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies in the Old Testament? I can't answer that, but Jesus answered that for us. You see, after Jesus rose from the dead, there's all these rumors going around that Jesus had risen that he, he had, had indeed died that he was buried, we all saw that but now there are people coming around saying that he has risen from the dead, and so there's a group of guys that are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus and they're on this road, and a guy comes up alongside of them, and, and uh, Luke describes that they did not recognize who this guy was he comes up and says, what's up guys? And they're like, well you must be a foreigner in town if you're asking us what we're talking about don't you know that this guy named Jesus who we thought was the Messiah, that he was crucified and that he died, and that, that he, there is no more hope left today and Jesus says this, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken and beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself O foolish ones and slow of heart you see the Jews today, uh, Judaism still hinges on the Old Testament and all these laws there are over 613 laws that are listed in the Old Testament that in order to be right with God, this is the list that you have to do as you know, we do, uh, we do youth on Saturday nights and Friday nights also. And uh, Friday night we had youth meeting over here. we had a youth group meeting over here, and uh, we were getting ready to watch Despicable Me" on TV. But before we did that, Cameron A. B, one of our youth racers, stood up and preached the gospel. He, he said, "Hey, I want to do the devotional tonight." And so he stood up and he called out one of his friends and he said, "Hey, can I pick on you for a second?" And the guy's like, "Well, yeah, I guess. Go ahead." And uh, he said, "All right, have you ever told a lie?" He says, yeah, 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 I've told a lie. Have you ever stolen anything, like even a pack of gum or a pencil from the teacher's desk? Well, yeah, I've done that. He says, have you ever looked at a girl and said, yowza? He's like, oh, yeah, I've done that. <laughs> we all laughed. because yeah, me too. He says, so you're a lying, thieving, adulterer. And that's only three of the Ten Commandments. You see, I'm a lying, thieving, cheating, adulterer. I've, done all, I've broken all the commandments according to God's regulations and His laws. That Old Testament stuff, God gave that to us to say, all right, if you, want, if you think that you can do religion, here's your religion. Not one single person has ever done it, and yet Jesus did it. Not a fault was found in Him. He came to this earth, born of a virgin, fulfilled the prophecy, lived a perfect life, proved to us that He was who He said He was, because he kept healing people. Only God could do that. Only God could tell you, say to a lame man, arise, take up your mat and walk. And because I did that, I can forgive your sins too, Jesus said. And then he proved to us that he, that he loved us so much that he went and he paid the ultimate penalty for our sin. Because our sin is deserving of death. And that's why Jesus went to the, went to the cross. He was pierced for our transgression. The sins, the, the lying, the cheating, the thieving, the, and the stealing, and the adultering that I have done deserves death. And yet Jesus paid that. And He proved that He paid that by being resurrected again on the third day. So what do you believe? It all hinges on the resurrection. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We've been doing this series called I Believe. I have some stickers here. It says I Believe. I want to give them all away today. However many I got, take them, put them on your helmet, put them on your own. I don't care where you put them. If you want to profess to this GNCC Race Nation that you believe, go ahead and take a sticker. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I implore you, I beg you, come and talk to me. Because life is fragile and it's short and there's only one ultimate truth and that is that God did indeed raise his son Jesus from the dead. Lord, we love you. Thank you for challenging us. Thank you uh, for giving us your word that we can stand on, that we can believe in, that uh, we know is true. I just pray that uh, for the people all around us that don't know Jesus, that don't know that you love them so much that you sent your son to this earth so we can have right relationship with you. I pray that... uh, I pray that you'll bring those people into contact with uh, those of us that do know your Son. I pray that you give us wisdom and that you give us courage and that you give us words to say. I pray for opportunities. I pray for people lit, uh, under this tent this morning that don't know Jesus as your Son, as a, as their personal Savior. I pray that they'll also have courage to come and talk to me or anybody around here that does know. Lord, this is... Uh, we know this is the most important thing. And I don't regret for a second that I've claimed Jesus is my Savior. It doesn't mean that I live a life of boredom. My life is so full and so enriched because you are my Lord. And I want that for everybody in the sound of my voice. Lord, keep us safe on the track today. We look forward to meeting you again in two weeks. We love you. In the name of Jesus, amen.